Welcome back, December 11th, another True Ryan Sports Show. Ryan, always joined by... Always joined by other Ryan. Yeah, just two of us uh, sitting here doing a podcast. Uh, Ryan, we have a great guest today, and I can't wait to tell the people about that before the interview. But, I mean, are, are you recovered yet from the Pittsburgh loss? Are you okay? I'm fine. Pizza and wings will do that to you. You don't really have to have to sulk too much whenever you can drown your sorrows in. Well, and Arnold Palmer, too, if I'm being oh, completely Arnold honest. Palmer. Love a good Arnold Palmer. Um, yeah, yeah, that uh, – yeah, big one uh, on Sunday, and I can't wait to talk about that game because it's going to be a doozy. Um, but the college slate, quite honestly, guys, it sucks this week. Um, I mean, typically college football, like – at this time of year anyway, doesn't exist like because it's the really the down week before bowl season kicks off, which is typically the third weekend in December. Well, guess what? Not during COVID. And at least we got a couple top 25 matchups. Uh, UGA Mizzou, uh, Bennett for Georgia, 1167, eight touchdowns on the year. It feels like Georgia, Georgia to me, they, I, I don't know what to think about them because I don't know if they're going to make a New Year's Six. I also think that they're a little deflated after losing to Florida the way they did way back when in Jacksonville. But Mizzou sliding into the top 25, very intriguing watching that on the rankings. And we'll actually talk about the rankings here in, in a few moments, but this is a classic SEC East matchup where you look at it and like, okay, Georgia versus Mizzou. I guess I'm going to watch this game. Um, and it's just also interesting that with these teams ranked in the top 25, I feel like the pendulum is swinging more towards Mizzou to win the game um, than Georgia, because I, I just really feel like Georgia's deflated. You watch the game because it's SEC football, and you also watch it this week because you're right. The college football slate sucks. It's not really much of a much of an exciting slate. But Georgia, Georgia, then after losing to Florida, plays a tough game against Mississippi State and only wins that by a touchdown. Uh, maybe they're feeling a little bit more confident now after beating the snot out of South Carolina. But that seems to happen a lot these days. I think Georgia is still one of the perennial SEC powers. And, and that's, that's noted by their, by their ranking. And I think they fit their ranking, but, but this year, especially to your point, Ryan, it, they're not one of the, they're not one of the super teams because the last few years we've seen Georgia making championship games. This is not a championship Georgia team. I don't think anyone's going to argue that, but this is a Georgia team that's still good. They're just not in that full, that full fifth gear like they're normally in every year. Um, certainly Kirby Smart has him ready to play every weekend, but when you have Alabama, when you have Florida, and, and you mentioned that Florida game, I mean, Florida Florida is one of the teams to beat this year along with Texas A&M uh, in the SEC, but I think Georgia will still win this game. I don't think Missouri is as, is as tough, and, and they're kind of one of those middle-of-the-pack teams. They hover around the top 25 spot. Uh, back when Drew Locke was there, they were better, but it's been downhill a little bit for them since then, but I think Georgia will still win this game. They'll control it, but you're right. This is this is certainly a different Georgia team than we've seen even the past two or three years. And I agree with you on that, especially 
because it just feels like this Georgia team, it, it doesn't have something that it normally has. I don't know how to describe it, but like typically when you watch Georgia play, you're like, that's Georgia football. And <laughs> like, it just doesn't feel that way this year. I don't know what it is. I think they're going to end up beating Mizzou by at least 10, maybe 12, like somewhere in that range. I, it's just, it's very intriguing going forward because they sit at number nine and do we really buy Georgia as a number nine team? Like I, I understand the committee put them there, but I don't like, I mean, I know it doesn't matter in the large term picture of things because they're probably not going to make the playoffs anyway, but it's just, I don't buy them as a top 10 team. I feel like they're more like in that 11 to 15 range, um, a couple spots below number nine. I think what you're missing this year for Georgia is a Todd Gurley, a DeAndre Swift, or a Nick Chubb because of how good their running backs have been. So usually we look at Georgia as, oh, what running back are we going to focus on this year? And certainly White has had a good year. I mean, no no one, again, is going to argue that. He's, he's rushed fine, but that, that namesake and that must-watch television and, and that running game is something that Georgia has kind of died on that hill. And, and it's it's a little bit different this year, focusing a little bit more on the quarterback play. And again, 2020 is a weird year. It, it's going to be a little bit different. They've only played eight games, so he doesn't have those same numbers. But the the flash, I guess, is a little bit different with a, with a lesser known running back than it would be. Yeah, and sticking with top 10 teams, um, North Carolina, Miami. Hello, sneaky good game on Saturday. Uh, Miami sitting at number 10. You know, it stinks that they're they're not going to make the ACC championship game. And uh, <laughs> Miami has had such a good under-the-radar year, I feel like. Because typically nationally, when Miami's ranked in the top 10 or even in the top 25, let's be honest, everyone's like, oh, my gosh, is the U back? Is Miami back? Um, I remember when a couple years ago when the Hurricanes and Notre Dame played and it was a top 10 matchup and college game day went there and you were like, oh my gosh, Miami's back. They got to number two in the rankings. They lost to Pittsburgh that year and everyone thought Miami was going to make the playoffs and, you know, fully be back. Manny Diaz, I originally thought was not going to be the coach to turn the program around in really a season and a half, but uh, yeah, he is. And he's doing something right down in Coral Gables to bring that program back to relevance. And Tom Luganville said it best on, on our last episode, Miami's handled pressure. Well, they haven't done that before, right? Because everyone pats them on the back and they're not used to that. Now in the eighties and nineties, they were, and then the, you know, the 2001 NFL Miami hurricanes that essentially dominated college football. I mean, think about their talent on that roster and we don't even have to get into that, but I just Miami. I feel like they're they're catching the bad break due to a COVID year. Notre Dame joins the ACC. They're going to play Clemson in the ACC championship game. It's going to be a great game. However, if Notre Dame wasn't there, guess who would be Miami? And so Miami, I feel like, can use this game and future games down the road leading to the end of the season to build on what could be a special. This is my crystal ball that I like to talk about looking into the future, a special 2021 season. Well, I'm going to start right now. I'm going to have to log all your crystal ball predictions so we know what to talk about and come next college football season. Ryan's way too early predictions for 2021. But you're but you're 100% accurate, though. Miami really has had a quiet season. 
and and some of that is due to the fact that Notre Dame is in the in the ACC this year, air quotes. But Miami has been fine. They've been great. I mean, only the loss to Clemson this year, and and I mean that wasn't great. It was a pretty bad loss. But they they have came off of that and played well since then. And it hasn't been the same level of competition in the ACC. I mean, you can look at their last few games uh, that they played. Obviously, Georgia Tech was postponed, but uh, Duke, Virginia Tech, NC State, it's not the best ACC teams. But normally in the past, you see Miami, and they might trip up in that Virginia Tech game, or they might falter in the NC State game a little bit. You say, this, this is not Miami. This is not the Miami of past, but Miami has done well this year in dealing with that and winning games that they should win. And I think you have to give a lot of credit to them, but also North Carolina too. North Carolina under Mac Brown. Uh, I think that might actually be your other crystal ball prediction is, is how good North Carolina is going to be going yeah. into next year. So we're, we're looking at a potential uh, high flying 2021 matchup <laughs> here. But North Carolina is a good team, too, and they obviously passed the ball very well with Sam Howe. We, we covered that a little bit a few weeks back when they played Notre Dame. But I still think this game favors Miami, and, it, and it'll be their defense that steps up in this game. They'll, they'll contain Sam Howe a little bit. But credit to both of these teams for kind of maneuvering the season and, and becoming staples of the ACC because I think, I think you're onto something there. Your crystal ball is looking a little bit more clear. Uh, looking at North Carolina and Miami into 2021. Yeah, I always uh, I always uh, give uh, way too early predictions. Uh, my favorite, though, is uh, what really uh, – and I, I think you remember this – is uh, you talked about Terrell Pryor being a starting quarterback for the Raiders way back when, mm-hmm. uh, when we you know, didn't have the show like this as many years ago. But uh, I also was talking about how Ohio State and Northwestern would be undefeated going into uh, Evanston and College Game Day would be there. And I remember you saying uh, you looked at your dad or whatever, and you were like, Ryan might be right. And that was like the Carlos Hyde team. If you remember that, like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love giving way early predictions. That's what makes uh, being wrong. So fun. Moral, uh, moral of the story is listen to your way early, way too early predictions. Because uh, no, not, be not right. always, not always. <laughs> um, but I, I speaking of way early predictions side note one time I said Trayvon Boykin was going to be an NFL quarterback uh that didn't pan out that didn't pan out. um wrapping up the college uh football slate I mean yikes I just Wisconsin Iowa it's a top it's, it's a top matchup I mean I like Wisconsin I think they're going to win the game actually this is a game that's typically played in like September, late September, early October. You get to Hawkeye Stadium, you have the lights and you have Gus Johnson, you know, calling the game and Iowa, you know, scores a game-winning field goal type feel. However, I think Wisconsin's going to be the one that scores the game-winning field goal. I just I feel like too much has happened to them this season. And and it's not you know, any fault of their own. It's a fault that we're living in a COVID world and they've had games delayed. I truly believe if it wasn't for COVID and their games being delayed, they'd be talked about in the Big Ten title race. I mean, the fact that the Big Ten title, well, conference, I should say, changed the rules for Ohio State to get into the Big Ten championship game is ludicrous. The fact that that is going to happen where Ohio State is now going to be a 5-0 and team like playing in a big 10 championship game, like 
do we still really think they're a top four team? I have not seen enough of them. I understand, you know, Herb Street and the guys on ESPN who really know their stuff are saying Ohio State's one of the four best teams. I don't buy that. And here's why. Five games, as we've talked about it before, is not a big enough sample size. I mean, I remember teams like Michigan with, you know, Tate Forrester. That's a throwback for you. Being 5-0, and okay, under the Rich Rod years. I remember teams like uh, West Virginia. Hello, the Geno Smith years. They were 6-0 and and then went, lost six straight, right? Like, 5-0 and is not a big enough sample size. I'm not comparing Ohio State to those two teams as far as, like, going to have a letdown. But what I do think is ridiculous, the fact that this Wisconsin-Iowa game is kind of not really important in the big scheme of things because Ohio State – the rules were changed for them, and it's all about revenue, right? Like, it's all about getting the dollars at the end of the day to make sure they get into the playoff and have a seat at the table because if Ohio State wins, that's a po- money in their pocket. That's money in the Big Ten's pocket, and the Big Ten eventually caved on that, and I think that is ridiculous. I mean, looking at looking at Ohio State's schedule, and, and I will go back to Iowa-Wisconsin here for a second, um, but first I want to look at Ohio State. Looking at their schedule, their, their best wins against Indiana, right? Their other four games, if, if we can remember all the way back to October because they've had so many games canceled, you may forget that they've even been playing most weeks. They've beat Nebraska, not great. Penn State in their historically down year. Rutgers, big deal. And Michigan State beating them by 40 points uh, just last weekend. But what, what does that tell you about a football team? What does that tell you about adversity? What does that tell you that they're, that they're able to beat teams that they should beat? Great. I, I would rather see a team like Texas A&M or Florida in there that, that has played more games and has a larger sample size to see. It, it's not a knock on Ohio State. I'm not an Ohio State hater in that regard, but it does come down to revenue. It's all about the revenue. You don't want your team to miss out on it, and the Big Ten knows that. I think if, if you kind of change the situation a little bit and say Ohio State was, let's say they're eighth or ninth, they're in that range, right? They're not changing the rules for them. They, they, would, not, they would not adjust that rule this year to say, oh, well, Ohio State can play. They'd let Indiana play in the game. And I think rightfully so because they have played more games. And, and I think it's just a product of where they are and the fact that Ohio State is going to generate more revenue and, and maybe even likely still more than what Texas A&M or Florida would put into those games, uh, or Cincinnati, certainly, if, if they get into it, because Cincinnati's mid-major. They're not, they're not Ohio State. So it's, it's frustrating in the sense that they're going to uh, adjust the rules for Ohio State just so they can make money. Um, you know, you, you would think that some people are probably just looking at that game going, now going, man, I hope Northwestern wins, <laughs> just, just to throw it all off. But um, just back real quick to the Iowa Wisconsin game. I don't I don't know if disappointment's the right word, but you have to figure that this is a little bit of a disappointing season for Wisconsin because of the number of games that they've played. They they come out on that first night on the first weekend and, and folks say, Wow, look, Wisconsin might actually be a contender. And to this point, they've only played four games. So very similar in the Ohio State realm of they just haven't had the sample size to, to go off of. And being two and two doesn't necessarily favor them in that sense. I mean, certainly 2021 will be a different year. But 
I think Wisconsin will win this game, but th- you're right. This this definitely feels like one of those games that we talk about uh, kickers missing two field goals in the third quarter. And, oh, he missed a 36-yarder, and they're going to put him out there for a 47-yarder, and he just knocks it right through down the center to win the game. So it, it should be a good matchup theoretically. Um, but, again, I, I think you have to count Wis- Wisconsin's season as a, as a loss. Yeah, I um... – yeah, no fault of their own, though. Uh, I mean, sure. you know, I don't, I don't hold anything against them, but we'll see what happens on Saturday for uh, the very bleak uh, schedule. But, I mean, you know, we can't really hold anything on the schedule either, right? I mean, the fact that it's a COVID year and games are getting canceled, typically, like I said, this is, you know, the week right before bowl season kicks off. So there's no games at all. So the fact that we're getting games on December 10th in college football, you know, December 12th, whatever it is, fantastic. You know, give me give me football in this crazy world. Uh, let's t- touch on the playoff rankings real quick. I'm going to go through the top ten. Miami, the U, back at number ten. Hello, Georgia, number nine. Cincinnati, interestingly, drops down from number seven to number eight. But hey, look who's sitting there at number seven: Iowa State Cyclones. Number six, Florida. Number five, Texas A&M. Nothing's changed there. The top four hasn't changed. Ohio State, number four, Clemson, three. Notre Dame, two, Alabama, one. I'm about to go on my annual, what I like to call annual playoff ranking rant. Okay? And this is the first one that we're going to have on air, but this is my annual playoff ranking rant. I feel like every year when it comes to the playoffs, I love the process. I hated the BCS. Okay? I'll put that there. But... You have year after year teams that I feel like should be in are not. And I understand this is not the final rankings. Do not get me wrong. But once you get to these type of rankings where there's like one or two left, you start to see the picture, how it's going to form in the committee's eyes, really. The perfect example is TCU in 2014, the first year. Then the very next year, 2015, was really a, a, a non-discussed year. You had all the four teams that should have been in it. Oklahoma, Clemson, Michigan State, Alabama. Then you go to 2016, you have Penn State who got screwed out of being out of that, you know, one of the four teams. And I'll say that regardless because they had beat Ohio State on that block field goal. They didn't get it, whatever. Those are three prime examples. This year, Texas A&M is that example because they have a large sample size in beating Florida and sitting right behind Ohio State. Like, I understand they're not going to make the SEC championship game, but Alabama's in their conference, man. Like, Ohio State at 5-0 and should not be ranked number four and valued better essentially as currency over Texas A&M. It, it almost makes zero logical sense because if Notre Dame loses, let's say Notre Dame loses to Clemson, okay? Let's say Iowa State wins. And if Iowa State wins, Alabama wins, Clemson wins, I mean, if Texas A&M doesn't slide into that four spot, I'd be pissed. I'm not a Texas A&M fan, but Iowa State, are they really going to jump up three spots to take number four? I don't think so. I don't think the committee wants to put them there. You know, I. it's just – Playoff rankings sometimes, especially at this stage, and I understand we're in a different season. I keep saying that, but because I do, but you can't put Ohio State five and O when, like you said, their competition that they played is completely a lesser value than what Texas A&M has played. 
so I was having a conversation with a friend of mine and supporter of the show, Alex Jarvis, about this, about the BCS versus the college ranking. He made a very good point about this, and I kind of agree with this. So the BCS was not a perfect system. I don't, I'm actually not sure if I know anybody that likes it. But when an error is made and you look at it and, and you say, well, how can the computer think that? You almost can forgive it because it's a computer error. It's not a perfect system because it's a computer doing these rankings. When you're looking at this, these are human beings sitting down on this playoff committee and saying that Ohio State in the top 10 of games, the next, the least amount of games next to Ohio State that's been played is eight. Ohio State has played three less games than the next closest team to them as far as games played. And they are astronomically better than all these teams. It just doesn't make sense. And as we discussed previously, it's not like it's against great competition. The Wisconsin win, that's, or excuse me, not Wisconsin, but the Indiana win, that's great. That was a good win. And, and theoretically, an Ohio State team who is in this position should win that game. But you're going to look at games like Rutgers and say that values more over other team games that have fallen under them. It just doesn't make sense. And, and, and that's why when you look at it from the human element, it, it almost makes less sense because you say, how can you think this and believe that they are better than these other teams? Yeah, it makes no sense. And I just – it's not Ohio State's fault that the Big Ten couldn't get it together to be really the last major power player, right, to come to some sort of schedule. I, I think if they would have got something done to where they could have played in September, like the SEC, where they started in September and did a 10-game schedule in the ACC, then we have something there. But the fact that they only have five games, a couple of them been canceled, you know, you look at Michigan this weekend that was supposed to be played, it's canceled. I just – I don't think there's enough there. Justin Fields is good. The team is good. But I don't know, man. Like, I, Iowa State, number seven, I like them. If they won the Big 12 championship, I mean, they might be one of the first two out. Texas A&M, I really like them. And I just it, – it's just one of those things. And maybe, maybe, maybe it's also a brand thing, like – Sometimes I feel like the committee, like the reason they didn't put in TCU was a brand thing. Like, is this school really going to bring in the revenue? Like Michigan State, not a blue but blue blood power program, but they still made the four and they were constantly always in the Big Ten championship game in Indy during those years with Mike uh, D'Antonio. Um, uh, D'Antonio. So, mm -hmm. I don't know. But – but you didn't, mention, you didn't mention the Pac-12, certainly. I mean, their highest-ranked team's 15th. Yeah. The, probably the Pac, a reason, right? Yeah, I think the last time we mentioned Pac-12 was probably 2016 was the last time they mattered. Was that Washington when they got their doors blown off by Alabama? Uh, yeah, yeah. Washington oh, okay. made uh, the, the 2016 year. And then uh, a couple years ago, you had Washington State as one of those teams floating around at number seven or eight right. until they lost. Um. But I tell you what, speaking of uh, interesting, uh, you know, tidbits and information, we got a guy who has a lot of that to say as far as interesting stories, certainly. And uh, Ryan, tell uh, the people who we have today. Very special guest.
Yeah, this is our first guest that is not just solely focused around sports. Um, Mr. TJ Lavin, who is the host of the challenge on MTV and a BMX rider uh, in his spare time, if, if that's even a thing for TJ. Um, but this is a great interview, folks. I, I think everyone's really going to like this. It's, it's very insightful to the show. Uh, even, even if you're not a loyal watcher of the show, just go watch some clips online, some of the uh, trivia answers that, that have been answered over the years and, and get a good laugh out of it. And then definitely listen to the interview with TJ. Uh, we talk a little bit about the show and a little bit about BMX and a little bit about life too, but I think it's one everyone's going to enjoy. And now our interview with TJ Lavin. All right, we now welcome on BMX rider, X Games gold medalist, three-time gold medalist, and current host of the TV show, long-running TV show, The Challenge, Mr. TJ Lavin. TJ, thank you for joining us on the Two Ryan Sports Show today. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, so we're excited to have you. Um, so the episode, the first episode now has came out of the 35th season of The Challenge. It seems crazy that it's been on that long, and, and looking back, it's it's been a ride. So... Um, but obviously this season is going to be a little bit different because of the quarantines and the COVID obviously 2020 has put a damper on some of that. So what are some of the biggest differences that, that fans are going to look out for in the 35th season? Um, I don't think, you know, they're, they're, they don't go out like, like in the public now. So you're not going to see them go to a dance club or you're not going to see them go to a local bar um, that's the pretty much the, the only difference that you're going to notice. Um, they, they didn't have to wear masks or anything while we were filming because we filmed, uh, we, we tested three times a week for eight weeks. So it was pretty crazy. Um, speaking of uh, challenge TJ, uh, now like <clears throat> there's a channel on an app called Pluto TV where, <laughs> like basically there's an episode it's literally a channel called the challenge playing every single like you know hour um what is your favorite challenge season because man i love rivals and i also love free agents but i also love last night i'm watching this moment and um ct and wes are paired up together and wes doesn't want to do like uh, a challenge and you look at him and go wes what the hell i mean come on man like you can't like saw some wood for like a couple minutes like with ct and he's like i ain't doing that and you're like man just get out of here then yeah i mean i don't like what my favorite challenges is that what the question was or season yeah season um i i, I really loved uh last season in Prague. um that was badass and and the, the stunts are only getting bigger and better, but this season right now was crazy, dude. It's real good. Like I'm, I'm very, very proud of it. So especially with, with the, with the circumstances and everything being locked down and, and nobody, nobody broke the rules. You know what I mean? Like all, all, all 200 and plus of, of the employees of the show, we all stuck together. It was just all for one and one for all, dude. We were all trying to get it done. And nobody tested positive the whole entire time we were there. You know what I mean? So it's pretty damn cool. I mean, testing three times a week um, is scary because you're like, dude, like, what if you get a false positive or anything? You know what I mean? But not one per not one person tested positive. And that's pretty crazy for that many people in that situation, you know? 
Yeah, I don't even know if bananas can handle getting tested uh, three times a week. <laughs> yeah, I don't know either, man. He, he's the goat, so you never know. <laughs> we need to we need to take your cast and kind of maximize it to a scale of the world, and just tell everyone to to stay home for a change, so you're not testing positive. Maybe we could actually yeah. slow, the, slow the spread if your folks were the ones running it. Yeah, dude, our our COVID team was so good, and it was uh, headed up by um by this this lady her last name is Gidry we just call her Mrs. Gidry because she's so awesome and uh and she's actually one of the uh producers of the show Joe his wife um Katia she's she's really really awesome and and she headed up the COVID team and there's there's just a bunch of badass uh ladies on that that team that were really like testing us and and telling us wear your masks all the time and like and everybody tested negative, but we still wore masks everywhere all the time. You know what I mean? So it was like, it was, it was something that, that we have to be proud of because it worked. So we got it done. Yeah, absolutely. What I take from that is Mrs. Gidry for president. That's, that's what I'm taking from that. So Mrs. Gidry for president, dude, she's <laughs> badass. So one other thing with this is, is obviously this show has been on for a long time now, like we said, 35 seasons and, and some competitors have been around for 13, 14 plus seasons, uh, CT and West come to mind with 18 and 14 respectively. Do you find yourself as the host kind of getting closer to some of these personalities that have been on the show longer, you know, kind of going out afterwards, maybe not this year, but just in general? Um, I, I've never gone out with them, um, but I did just have a, a lunch with Leroy and, and that's because he retired. So I was like, I'm allowed to, I'm allowed to see you now. You know what I mean? But I am closer with with the with the people that have been around for a while because you you can't help but know them. You know what I mean? So it's it's cool, though. I mean, it's not it's, they know for a fact that I would never do anything to jeopardize the game and the and the the honor of the game. You know what I mean? So, like, I'm never going to say something or do something or jeopardize the, the integrity of the game, dude. Like that matters more than anything that we have going on, like if we're, we're boys or whatever, because as a friend, you're never going to ask me to do something stupid like that. Yeah. Um, Leroy was always a, a cool competitor too. So that's awesome that, you know, you were able yeah. to do lunch with him now that he's not, not going to do the show anymore. But speaking of, uh, you know, competitors and all that kind of stuff, you know, you've, you've been doing it so long. Uh, this is really a two-parter. What's the craziest moment you've ever witnessed and was like, what the hell just happened? And then two, look, man, you've had the trivia challenges that you do. I'm sure you get enjoyment out of it because some of those answers, and we were actually uh, talking about it before you came in, like asking people like bananas, for example, is one we keep making fun of. You're like, what language do people in Australia speak? That's the that's best nice. answer that I've ever heard. That one. And when he said, uh, when I asked him a question of who did something, I don't remember what the question was. And then he's like, your mom. Oh, who's the best player? best soccer player or something crazy, yeah. right? About soccer, I don't know. And he goes, your mom. And I was like, my mom don't even play soccer. <laughs> like, it was like, it was fun banter, you know? I loved it. I was like, you funny bastard. Like, it was pretty good. But um, that, that, you know, when, when moments like that happen are some of my favorites, for sure. Um, and then when they crash into the water from 35 feet up, it's scary, dude. Like, you, you're, out of, you're out of line. You don't know what you're doing. And then, like, if, if you get out of shape in the air and then you don't have real good air awareness, like, 
these dudes have never really jumped and done anything. You know what I mean? Like when it comes to falling, I've fell my whole life. So it's not really that big a deal for me to tuck or whatever I got to do if I'm falling into water. But when this, somebody has never fallen, feels that feeling for the first time, I see their face and I'm like, oh my God. And it's amazing. Every time it's incredible. And then they crash their ass off and they don't know what hit them. And they're down there. And I'm, then I just like say something smart, like they answer, like, no, it's English, dude. You know what I mean? Like, you're so, like that, that's, that's funny to me. So I, I, I uh, yeah, I love that. I love the, the trivia shows while we're filming them. But that day of trivia is real, real hard for me, dude. Like, it's a lot of work. People don't realize this, but the trivia days are twice or three times or four times as long of a film day. Why is that? Because I have to say every single question and every single answer of every, every question again and again and again, like three or four times at, you know, after it's all said and done, everybody goes and leaves and me and a film crew sit there and I say them all, all, all the stuff right there. You know what I mean? So you got to do live reads and then you have to do the read reads like to where it's like, all right, cool. This happened, that happened. That is incorrect. And so, you know, it's, 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 cause if you try to film it while it's live, there's so many different noises and so much different like uh, events going on during the time that you have to, yeah, you, you kind of have to do some clean versions as well. Yeah. I mean, um, and then what's uh, the craziest uh, moment you've ever like uh, witnessed, like on a challenge season? Is it uh, when Ashley one of, um, the money? One of the seasons, like, yeah, one of the s- seasons, um, we had a tester and, and she was actually uh, one of the like testers slash producer girls. I'm not sure exactly what her, her title was, but she was really cool. And uh, it was in South Africa and it wasn't on the show. And she was testing. And when she, it was a trampoline challenge, so she jumped off this box and I had just raced all the way to, to Somerset West, South Africa to jump off the box and jump on the trampoline and back. Cause I read in the script that I was like, Oh my God, these are trampolines. I'm out of here. And I left and I went there and I, I went early to jump on the trampoline and do it. I wanted to jump, do the challenge, you know? And this is before when they would let me do the challenges. And, and this time they're like, no, TJ, you're not allowed to ride. You're not allowed to do this one. Cause it was a trampoline. It's it dangerous, you know, but I did it anyway. And it was fun. But then I got off the trampoline and this tester went and did it and she snapped her leg and her, her two bones went through her leg and it was a compound fracture. And I was like, Oh, and so I went over there and I helped her and I was just sitting there with her and she was calm and cool. And like, dude, she wasn't even tripping really, dude. I was like, man, she was in shock. You know, so it was me and the executive producer, Justin Booth, and we were holding her and holding her head and everything else. And and then everybody else was like, Phew. they were scared to death. They were like, oh, my God, what did we do? You know what I mean? They called the ambulance and she got surgery and everything. She was all bit. She's good. But it was so crazy the time I saw that, because a year later, I snapped my leg in, in Orlando. Same thing. Double compound fracture, tip fib right through the skin. And it was the worst pain I've ever felt in my life my whole career, the worst pain I've ever had. And she handled it a thousand times better than me, dude. Cause I, I, I didn't even go into one bit of shock 
no morphine helped, no nothing helped. And it was the worst pain you could ever imagine. And I, I was just sitting there like, I can't believe that girl. And I was thinking about her. Her name is Star. She's a badass. Because it happened to me. And I was like, this is the worst pain I ever had in my life. And she was badass. Like, that's what I kept thinking <laughs> while it was going on, you know? And it was like, what a mess. But it, that, that was the craziest thing I've ever seen. And then on the challenge that actually showed was when Leroy got knocked out pretty good. And I think it was in Colombia. It was a, it was a sketchy ass challenge. And, and, you know, he slipped on the truck trying to jump to another one, hit his face and bounced off and landed in the water. And then came up like just sitting there like that. Like we were like, Oh, he's dead. He gone. <laughs> I'm sure that was probably discussed in your lunch with him and saying, okay, well, we're glad you made it through that one and you're not a buoy anymore. Yeah. 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 For sure. So, well, Kind of wrapping it up here on this end, uh, moving away from the challenge here, obviously we're excited for the season, but I just want to ask a question about your BMX career because I've always been curious about the BMX and the X Games and the action sports uh, from where we're from. It's not something that's insanely popular, so being able to see it on TV is a thrill. So, you know, what what in your experiences is kind of the biggest thrill of that? You know, you talk about not having that fear of heights from 35 feet up, but but what's the biggest thrill of, of kind of the BMX world and and competing all over the world really um i think it's probably doing something that that you're the only person in the whole world that can actually do you know and and like to say that it, it sounds crazy and it is but it's like at one moment in my life i did something that no one else in the whole entire world could do at that moment you know what i mean so like you, you, like if you invent something or if you make something up or if you do something real cool and it, it's so weird, it's a weird feeling because there might be somebody somewhere, somehow in some little town somewhere that does that, you know what I mean? And you don't know about it, but, but we didn't know about it. You know what I mean? So it, no one knows exactly that you're the only person in the world that can do it, but you're the only person that, that people know that can do it. You know what I mean? And that's, it's pretty damn cool. Like to, to have that, that success, you know what I mean? It was pretty awesome. And now when I see the, the up and comers and the, the new guys and the Dennis Anderson's of the game, and like dudes that are doing like the most insane, incredible things on a bike I've ever seen in my life. Um, I, I like, you're the only person, Brad Sims, he's a street rider. And I, I'm like, he's the only person in the world that could ever do that exactly. Thing, what he's doing he's the only one you know so if he dies that's it done he dies with him you know maybe maybe now that he's done it and they see it on footage it's how it's possible somebody else will try it but i highly doubt it and it's just really cool to see and to have done and been one of the people in the world that that have that have something that, that you're the only one in the world that could do something like that at that moment you know and it's pretty cool so you're, you're not going to go back out and try the Brad Sims tricks? You're not going to be the second one? No. Those are done. <laughs> those days are over. Long over. In fact, I'm not going to go out and do any tricks. Like, I, I am so cool with where I'm at. Like, I'm like, you know what, man? Like, because, like, Nasty, uh, Corey Nastasio is, is one of my favorite people in the world. And he's, he's right on my, on my heels in age. And he is killing it and i would be killing the game as well if i wouldn't have got hurt 10 years ago but i did 
so I'm not killing the game anymore. He's like, I mean, the dude is so sick. And I watch him. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really jealous that I, that I'm not able to, to go and do that anymore. And I want that feeling so bad, but I'm not willing to pay the price to get it. Cause I know how hard it is to get to that level and to get to that point and to get where I was. And I know the amount of injury and, and problems that I'm going to build for myself, you know? And I also have friends that like Stephen Murray, who, who it's life altering, you know, it changed their whole lives and it sent them on a whole different project trajectory of life because of injuries and things that have happened to them. So I don't want that either. And I, now I'm a realist, dude. I'm, I'm like, you know what? I'm knocking 44's door down. I don't need to be doing this. So you got a you got a pretty sweet life hosting the you know, hosting the challenge. So you don't really have to do too much. You don't have to prove anything else to anybody. But uh, TJ, we we really do appreciate you coming on the show today and and spending some time with us. Um, as as we go into this season and and watch this season of the challenge, but as you live your life too, uh, we hope that you, all of your loved ones, everyone that you're around, continue to stay safe. Um, it sounds like you already have, so you're you're pretty cool about that anyway. But we hope that everybody stays safe and and we'll catch up with you again soon. Hey, I really appreciate you guys. Much love to you. Yeah, thank, thank you, TJ. We appreciate Take it. Take care, you guys. See you later. Man, uh, Ryan, I love TJ's answer about uh, still the bananas epi- uh, answer on trivia uh, of when he asks um, <laughs> uh, what uh, language does Australia speak in? Bananas says Dutch is still his favorite answer. It's a great one. If you, if you guys haven't seen it, uh, YouTube it, Google it. It really is mind-boggling to watch his reaction to uh, that answer. Yeah, TJ, and, and admittedly, I'm I'm not a watcher of the challenge either, but just watching those clips and getting an idea of it, uh, you actually told me to go and look at some of those trivia answers, and I just didn't know people could answer questions that dumb. Yeah. <laughs> um, but... Moving along, man, Ryan, last week, the NFL slate didn't look great on paper, right? But we had one of the most incredible witching hours we've ever had in, in uh, Mr. Hansen's uh, years of doing the NFL red zone. But my goodness, we have a great slate. And the fact that this game is at one o'clock should be a crime against the NFL schedulers. The fact that they didn't move it to at least four o'clock. I mean, we got Kansas City, Miami. Patrick Mahomes, 3,815 yards, 31 touchdowns, two interceptions on the season. That guy's ridiculous. Kansas City defense, though, allowing 21 points per game while Miami is allowing 17. Really, the battle's in the trenches on this one between the two defenses because when you have a team with Tyreek Hill, Le'Veon Bell, uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Patrick Mahomes – very easy to score points. But when you got a stingy defense like Miami that a lot of people don't talk about nationally, this could be Miami's coming out party officially because they still feel like I think down in Miami that they're not respected. And this is a key marquee game for them to get a good win against a team. I don't know at this point if two is going to start and if he is going to start, they're going to take him out because that whole situation has been weird. They put him in, they take him out, they put him in, they take him out, so on and so forth. I mean, right now, uh, from what I see, Ryan Fitzpatrick is supposed to be the starter, but that could change. I also see two is supposed to be the starter on some site. So I don't know what's going to happen, but what a great game at one o'clock. 
it's funny that you look at a game like this and as good as Kansas City is and you talk about favoring which defense are you favoring you you have to take Miami in that regard now Kansas City's offense is explosive and I, I think I made this exact quote a couple of weeks ago saying you can't fully stop them you can only hope to contain them that's how you beat Kansas City you don't have to fully stop them. You understand that Patrick Mahomes is going to make plays. You understand that Travis Kelsey is going to be a bear to tackle. And you understand that Tyreek Hill will run past you at some point. Manage the game, win the line of scrimmage, and pressure him. Patrick Mahomes is, is still one of the best players in the league. And, and I'm not insinuating that he just falters under pressure because clearly we have all the examples that that's not true. But... Miami can win this game. I think Miami can win this game. I do think Kansas City will win it, but I think Miami is really going to put up a fight, and I think Miami is really going to want to prove themselves in this spot because you're right. They are still kind of feeling disrespected in the sense that people are, are kind of glimmering over the Ravens. Oh, the Ravens beat the Cowboys. Here they are. They're right back in the picture. Miami's still in the playoffs. Miami's eight and four. They're the sixth seed right now. Why are we not talking about Miami? We need to talk about, I mean, not to say that the Ravens still can't make it because that's not true either, but talk about the teams that are in it. Talk about how Miami has kind of had their coming out party this year and, and they very well may be in the playoffs, which is something that I don't think a lot of people expected in 2020. Let me ask you this. If we got to the witching hour at, I don't know, quarter after four, four fifteen, right when the game's ending, and Miami's going for a go-ahead field goal to win the game with two seconds left, and they hit it. Are you surprised that they end up winning that game if that was to how it was happened? No, I don't think so. I think Miami's good enough to win the game, but to that point, if that happens, I want to see Ryan Fitzpatrick's reaction because he's, he's an all-time facial expression person. So seeing him beat Kansas City on the biggest stage and likely what would be their biggest game of the year – you have to imagine that that would be a pretty good face from, from Fitzmagic. Yeah, especially since uh, – here's a little fun fact for you, uh, for people who go to trivia nights wherever you are uh, for sports. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick's actually never been in the playoffs on any team he's ever played for. Uh, kind of in- interesting considering he's played for nine teams. But sneaky good game, Ryan. Sneaky good game. We didn't think it would be a couple weeks ago. But here we are sitting at one o'clock on Sunday, Arizona, how you doing versus New York, a team that just come off a huge win in Seattle. I love this game for so many reasons because, and here's why Arizona sits at the number eight spot right now. And we're going to talk about Minnesota um, versus Tampa here in a moment, but Arizona, it's almost like it's a must win because because if they don't, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs like I've thought all year. I just – there's something that needs to happen on Sunday for them to find a spark, kick it into gear, DeAndre, Kyler Murray, you know. I just – what do you think is going to happen on Sunday in the Meadowlands? I want to look back first because something and, – and we'll mention it again later in, in analyzing our other game of this – other game. <laughs> I know that's a weird way to say it, but – Bear with me. The Kyler Murray Hail Mary. He catches that ball and you say, this is Arizona. This is destiny. This is big time. 
Now go back and look at Arizona's trajectory since that game. You would think that would be straight up. It's been almost straight down. Buffalo, you think that would pretty much maybe not kill them. It may not take them out. They probably still make the playoffs. They've been on fire since that game. I don't know what's happened. Maybe it's the the Hail Mary hangover. That's I'm going to coin that, the Hail Mary hangover for the, for the Cardinals. But who are these Giants? Who are these New York football Giants that have been coming out the last few weeks and really since the Tampa Bay game have been giving teams great games uh, and then to beat Seattle last week? With Colt McCoy. With Colt McCoy. With Colt McCoy. That's that's absurd that we're saying that in 2020, that Colt McCoy is quarterbacking a team that is in the playoffs. Now, he's not the starting quarterback, mind you, but he is starting on a team that is winning these games and, and is, again, currently in the playoffs, albeit NFC East 5-7, and seven, but in the playoffs. I think I think you kind of have to like New York going into this game. Not not to say anything is is a, completely amiss in Arizona, but the trajectory going down. I think <laughs> uh, uh, what you don't see is on the other side of the Zoom meeting. Ryan clicks his pen as if to say, "I'm going to mark down for that." And on Monday, when Arizona wins by 30 points, I'm going to roast you, and that's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm taking notes every year. I'm a I'm a pen in my ear like a Matt Patricia, just not even using it, just clicking it. Well, he needs um, a job, so you can hire him to do that. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll put him as our intern. Um, so let's talk about the Miami Kansas City game. Might be one of the best games of the day. It may be the best game of one o'clock. You know, I feel like me and you are guys who look for the best games of one o'clock, just like a lot of NFL fans. But you know, we really try to point those out. All right. Ryan, if people have a chance to watch Minnesota versus Tampa on Sunday, they need to. Kirk Cousins balling out this year. 3,073 yards, 26 touchdowns, 12 picks. Brady still doing it. 3,328 touchdowns, 11 picks. Minnesota's won four of five. Tampa, though, really where their weakness is, is 96 yards rushing per game. But they're allowing their defense. That's where their strength is. 2276 yards passing per game they're allowing that's one of the best in the league i just i love this game for so many reasons kirk cousins dalvin cook tom brady i'm not worried about gronk what i'm worried about is mike evans and chris godwin two of the best uh wide receivers plus you got antonio brown in the slot who's still average i just this this feels like a playoff game in december to really take a team one way or the other and let you know that they're going to do something in the playoffs and make it in and slide and get hot at the right time or fall on the back burner and really lose steam. I love this game. This is a, this is a matchup. And, and I think you, you alluded to it, but saying a couple of weeks ago that Minnesota would be in the playoffs number one, and that we'd be talking about them potentially jeopardizing Tampa Bay's playoff chances 2020 is weird that's just that's the only way to it's the only way to categorize this but you have to like what Minnesota has been able to do over the last few weeks I think one of the other big factors that we that we kind of gloss over a little bit with Minnesota certainly Kirk Cousins has been good uh, maybe it's not the same Mike Zimmer defensive past they have a playmaker at receiver now 
Justin Jefferson is a playmaker and he's been one of the best rookie wide receivers, if not the best rookie wide receiver in 2020. And then you look at the super team down there in Tampa. It should work. Everything should work. Tom Brady, Gronk, Mike Evans, Antonio Brown, Leonard Fournette, Ronald Jones. It should work. Why are they, why are we talking about them potentially missing the playoffs? Why are we talking about Tampa Bay scrounging in on a wild card? It seems weird, right? But that's that's the 2020 we're watching. And it's not unlike Tampa to lose a game that they shouldn't shouldn't this year. They've they've been in games that I've even said in on these on this show, I've said there's no way Tampa loses this game because Tom Brady's gonna have them ready to play. They won't lose this game. I think I said it the night that they played the Saints. I said, this will be a good game, but I think Tom Brady knows how important it is. Well, that night, it didn't look like anybody knew how important it was. This is another one of those games. This is a make or break game. And and depending on the results of the Arizona game, this, <laughs> this matters a lot to the NFC wildcard race and playoff picture. Um, maybe I'm crazy to keep doing it, but I'm going to take the Buccaneers again. I think that they'll come out with this win. But this is another one of those games, to your point earlier, I wouldn't be surprised, excuse me, to see Minnesota kicking a game-winning field goal with, at the end of the day. Yeah, I. it's going to be a game that I'm interested to look for all around that 1 o'clock slate and then really hope things are a one-score game and it's not like the Cleveland-Tennessee you know, game last week where things just get out of hand early. Let's go to the 405 slot. Weird we're just thing. heating up, folks. Yeah, well, let's go to the 405 slot. We're, we're, we're getting warmed up here because the 405 slot, what's happening? Are, are, are they just getting good games? Is, is Fox and CBS, when they get the 405 slot, whoever gets the 425 is obviously the big game. But the 405 slot this week is Las Vegas and Indy. Talk about a playoff matchup that is huge for – implications in the playoff race their car i don't care what people say about him he's having a fantastic year with 22 touchdowns five picks and darren waller he's one of the best tight ends in the league it's finally time for people like me and other people around you know nfl circles to look at this guy 742 on the year in receiving yards and seven touchdowns but Indy is allowing 334 yards per game. I mean, this is a big matchup, another big matchup right in that wild card race. Yeah, well, and we're still a Raiders podcast. So that's that's still a thing. I don't know how this isn't the 425 game. Just looking at the 425 game, no disrespect to Green Bay, who's having a great year, but how is this not the 425 game? I mean, this is when we can flex games, right? But look, I think I think you have to look at Indianapolis. And Indianapolis is strange, right? Because all season we've kind of teetered this line of, can they make it? Can they win the division? Are they better than Tennessee? And given the one-on-one matchup, they're, they're good games. But is Indianapolis for real? Indianapolis feels to me like a team that could – that it – that could realistically make the playoffs again. I know the AFC is very tough in, in that wild card, and we'll see how that plays out. Indianapolis is good enough to be a playoff team, but they're a team that I wouldn't see going past week one in the playoffs. They play the wild card, they would get beat, and it would probably be a good game. But I 
I just have this feeling that the Raiders are not one of those teams. The Raiders are one of those teams that if they make it to wild card weekend, they could go to week two. Now, maybe they don't make it to the AFC championship game. Maybe they run into a tough matchup and, and they're outmanned uh, against Kansas City again. I know those have both been good games, Raiders fans. Don't don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but I like I like Las Vegas here. I like Las Vegas in this game. I, I think Indianapolis and them are going to play a good game. I think it's going to be a tough physical game because this has a lot of playoff implications too. Give me Las Vegas. I think Las Vegas is going to win this one, and, and I still think they're a playoff team. Vegas, baby. Vegas. We're riding them until – I mean, if they don't make the playoffs, we'll still say they're going to make the playoffs because, I mean, this team – just, I mean, this game, ah, the four, how is this, how is this the 405? How is this the 405 game? Like, seriously. I, I mean, have to stop watching the one o'clock slate to turn this game on whenever those games are going to be ending in game winning field goals. Like, I understand that, you know, the 425 games are always the big, whoever the network is that week that gets it, whether it's Fox or CBS, whatever. But I mean, come on, guys, let's maybe move one game from the 425 and put that at the 405 and make this the 425 game. This is massive. This is massive for so many reasons in the playoff race in the AFC. But Ryan, I got a smile on my face because Jalen Hurts is about to get his first start. A guy that all he did was win in college, man. All he did was win in college. And God, I mean, the Eagles have lost four or five. We're, we are just the dog meme of sitting at the coffee table with the fire around us, and everything's fine, guys. But it's not. New Orleans won five of five. Yeah, even without Drew Brees, I mean, still pretty good. But <laughs> this is the 425 game, and we're about to see on national television Jalen Hurts take his first snap. And here's why it's significant. Not because he's taking his first snap, okay? not Well, first start, excuse me. It's because this sets up Carson Wentz. What I mean by that is Carson Wentz got paid money, and it's it happens, right? Like Joe Flacco got the money after the Baltimore Super Bowl. But the interesting thing, and, and we'll look about it, look back on it, excuse me, 15, 20 years from now, and they might even make a 30 for 30 year in NFL films about that Eagles team that won the Super Bowl. Because the dominoes that fell after is one of the most fascinating things I've ever seen. Like Seattle had dominoes fall where the defense, the Legion of Boom split up, right? Cam retired. Sherman went to San Fran. Like Earl Thomas, he was falling off, right? Like you had those dominoes falling. But in Philly, what it did, it got Nick Nick Foles paid in Jacksonville where it clearly didn't work out because he got injured and Gardner Minshew took the job over that season, last season. And then he gets traded to Chicago. But during that off season of when Foles is getting paid, Carson Wentz gets paid, my man. He gets paid $100 million. And the dominoes that fall after that is fascinating because Foles is now injured, right, in Chicago playing awful didn't really play well in Chicago he had that win against Atlanta that comeback win but what's that really worth you know what I mean in in retrospect but then you have Carson Wentz who's completely fell off completely and I I don't know 
what Philly will do going forward because you have a guy in teams around the league who still think can be the guy, but do they really want to take his contract over? Because Philly doesn't want to release him this off season. Like they're thinking, because now what do you do? Right. You, you put in Jalen hurts, which me and, and a lot of Eagles fans wanted, but, but the caveat is what happens with Carson? Because Carson's not going to really want to be in Philly next year. It seems like, and I don't think people want to take his contract. So is he going to try to force a trade and what's Philly going to get back for him? Like maybe a fourth or fifth round pick and maybe like a couple players. I don't know. It's just, this is the start of a lot of dominoes that's going to fall for the Eagles good or bad. And, and, and it could be bad, you know, maybe, you know, maybe Jalen's not the guy going forward, which is, you know, it is what it is, but at least he's the guy that's given them a spark this season that Carson hasn't done. I very fascinating game. The number of suitors for Carson Wentz in the offseason will be very, very low because teams that are going to truly need a quarterback are going to be at the top of the draft, and they're not going to trade for Carson Wentz. The Jets are not going to trade for Carson Wentz. The football team theoretically needs a quarterback. They're not going to trade for Carson Wentz. They're going to draft one. So the offseason is going to be interesting in that regard, but the thing about Jalen Hurts is, is I, I think back to him at Alabama because Jalen Hurts at Alabama was a completely different player than Jalen Hurts at Oklahoma. Jalen Hurts at Oklahoma could throw the ball effectively. He had his games in Alabama that he was able to do it, but I think everyone really saw him more as a running quarterback who could throw, not a throwing quarterback who could run. I think that's an important distinction to make. So I'm interested to see what this stat line looks like on Sunday for him. Because is this going to be one of those games where he has 75 yards rushing, but he throws for 150 and two picks? Or can he actually throw for 200, 250 yards, maybe a touchdown and an interception, and, and run for 55, 60 yards on top of that too, getting out of pressure situations? I don't know if Jalen Hurts is the answer in Philly, but I don't think it's Carson Wentz either. I think Carson Wentz is ultimately going to end up wanting out of here. I don't know if this is digging your heels in on Jalen, but what we've continually said the last couple episodes is they just need a spark because you're still in the playoff race and, and Jalen Hurts has to be that spark. He's, he's the only guy that you can turn to at this point to be that. Yeah, absolutely. I think we uh, still lose the game though on Sunday. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we say all that just to say, yeah, we're not going to win. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're, we're fair we're, enough. Yeah, we're, we're not a good team. I mean, I'm glad he gives us a spark, though. Uh, Washington's football team versus San Francisco. I mean, here we go again. Another team, another team on the outside looking in in San Francisco, Washington. Yeah, they're five and seven coming off a huge win. But Washington, even though they're not right there under that, you know, eight, nine line. And the wild card race, they could, they could actually pull it off somehow and either make a wild card if things fall into place, or they could still win the division. Obviously, I mean that's not out of question at all. Um, but Gibson's questionable, um, did not practice today, and uh, Terry McLaurin. I mean, I, I don't know if he's playing either, but you know, I think he's questionable as well. So, what 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 are your thoughts on this game? Well, as a Steeler fan, I got a great look at the Washington football team, as you all heard in the last episode. Washington, again, 
their defense is what makes them go. Washington's defense stopped Pittsburgh from doing everything that they're good at and really put them in a bind by doing so. Pittsburgh certainly helped them by dropping balls, but Washington's defense is the difference maker here. And if Jimmy G's not playing for San Francisco, I think that this front can get to Nick Mullins a little bit more and, and force him to make plays. Nick Mullins has had a few good games, but I'm not going to hype up Nick Mullins as the next great NFL quarterback. Watch out for the football team because they are not only coming for the division, but if the dominoes fall correctly, they're coming for a playoff spot because the Giants are also playing good, um, playing well, I should say. But a few a few days ago, talking on a broadcast, they're saying it really should have been the Cowboys and the Eagles that we were talking about competing for this division. And it's the opposite two teams that are really taking this, taking this down to the wire, albeit again in the worst division potentially in NFL history, but at least New York and Washington are making it fun down the stretch. Yeah. And I actually think Washington will end up finding a way to get the division and um, hosting a home playoff game. Who would have thought? Um, man, Sunday night football, Pittsburgh, Buffalo, matchup of two quarterbacks, Big Ben, 27 touchdowns on the year, 3,105 passing yards, Josh Allen, 3,403 passing yards, 26 touchdowns. Pittsburgh, though, just like Tampa, really their weakness lies in rushing. Uh, Pittsburgh's only averaging 92 rush yards per game. That's a league low, um, and it showed in that game on Monday. Um, I really think going forward, teams are really going to try to press the box and make that Pittsburgh team run the ball, uh, especially with this Buffalo defense, who's very stingy in uh, the, the front line D line. The interesting matchup to me, and, and you alluded to it with Pittsburgh and Buffalo, is the fact that Ben Roethlisberger and Josh Allen are almost the exact same quarterback, just 10, 12 years apart in their age. They're very much built from the same cloth. Big Ben in his early years was a was an escape artist, and he did have that spin move in the game on Monday. I don't know if anybody saw that. Um, we wouldn't call that a highlight real play, but he did have the spin move. But I think one thing that you really have to watch out for in this game, obviously Pittsburgh has to run the ball better. We said that last week, and most likely we'll probably say it again next week, unless Pittsburgh runs for 300 yards. The matchup to watch, though, Pittsburgh is thin at middle linebacker because Devin Bush is already out via injury. Robert Spillane got hurt in the game who replaced him on Sunday. And now Vince Williams has been put on the COVID list, so he won't be able to play on Sunday either. So they are down. Well, and Ulysses Gilbert, you're really kind of getting into the getting into the practice squad players here is out as well. They have one healthy middle linebacker. And that is Avery Williamson, who was traded for midseason from the New York Jets. So they are going to be moving a safety essentially down who has some experience in packages uh, as a middle linebacker in Marcus Allen. But Pittsburgh is thin in that position this week. And I fully expect Buffalo to exploit that weakness. And as I sit here on Friday, I fully expect Buffalo to win this game as well. Yeah, you also forgot to mention Bud Dupree's out. So yes, that's a huge, that's a huge loss. And talk about what a Sunday slate of football, especially ending it with that prime time. I mean, it's so good. I mean, guys, you don't, don't leave your chairs all day. Okay. Just go to the bathroom 
and come back and watch TV and watch these football games. Cause, and actually that Sunday night game between Pittsburgh and Buffalo could be the best of the day. It could, it could just simply be the best of the day. We could have like a 31, 28 matchup and it's just going to be a fun Sunday of football. The reason I say Sunday is because we got one more good game and that's Baltimore Cleveland on Monday, another huge prime time game. Lamar Jackson, the running back that is Lamar Jackson 669 rush yards on the uh, year. I look when they beat Dallas the other night, it wasn't really a significant win, right? It, it helped them get off the skid and it helped them stay in the thick of things in the, the playoff race. But this Baltimore team, I think they lose to Cleveland on Monday because they, they're a team that's very up and down, right? Like they're, they're like Tampa. They're very, they're very sporadic and, I can't believe I'm saying this. I think for the first time ever, I think Cleveland's the better team, just simply the better team. And, you know, on record anyway, it is. I just also really love how Cleveland's really developed an identity. They didn't really do it last year. Right. And Freddie kitchens was a, was a coordinator guy. He's not a head coach guy. You know, he was a coordinator that got a head coach and people know what I, you know, mean when I say that like Wade Phillips like you gave like last episode is a perfect example but to really run the ball in Cleveland with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt they're doing it man and they have David Njoku as the tight end who's really caught you know passes late in games uh, of late and you also have Odell out for the season but you have Jarvis making big plays I, I just this is a Cleveland Browns team that if it wasn't for Pittsburgh could be hosting a home playoff game. Off the top of your head, do you remember the score of the Ravens Browns game the first time they played? I do not know. Baltimore won that game in week one, 38 to six. Yikes. Baltimore walked all over Cleveland again. And we looked at this game and said, this is Baltimore that we remember from last year. And this is Cleveland that we've remembered for the last 13 seasons. Now let's play an NFL season in the middle of that. And here we are in week 14. Complete 180. This is not the same game it was in week one. Now, what I will say is, is that the Baltimore Ravens team with Lamar Jackson and J.K. Dobbins back in there, that looks more like the Baltimore team that we remember from that first week. And, and only giving J.K. Dobbins more reps. I know he sat out the Pittsburgh game, but giving him more reps as the season goes on is only going to make him better. I think Baltimore is going to stay in the throttle. I think they're actually going to beat Cleveland on Monday, but don't expect Cleveland to just roll over and lose 38 to six again. This is going to be much more challenging of a game. It's not going to be that blowout type game, but Baltimore is actually going to keep this going. I think Baltimore wins a close one, but Cleveland is going to do their absolute best to control the line of scrimmage, run the game and try to take it away from Baltimore. But when Baltimore has all their running weapons, they're too good of a team to stop. Yeah, I um, – in Baltimore, when they are on their A game, they are a hard team to stop. But I'm telling you, look out for Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt on Monday because that's where that's where the game lies. Uh, another episode in the books, Ryan. Uh, you know, great guest. Uh, we have, um, you know, some things lined up coming up for our, uh, you know, Christmas schedule, you know, um, coming up as well. But, Ryan, tell us, where, where – where can we follow the two Ryan sports show? 
Well, first you got to follow us, subscribe and rate us on Apple and Spotify. That's number one, because that's where you're going to hear the show. So make sure you're following us there. But to get regular updates about the show, you're going to want to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And then TikTok is a little bit um, exclusive. That sounds fun. It's more exclusive. But TikTok is a little bit different because we'll be doing some one-off videos on there talking about breaking sports news that we may not be able to cover on the podcast. Uh, certainly over the Christmas holiday, we probably have some of those too as some games and news happen. But again, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, follow the Two Ryan Sports Show on social media as well. Yeah, and uh, Ryan, we'll see everyone next week. Yep, we'll see you guys.